It's one of the deepest, richest, most important books of the Bible, Romans. In this message, join Pastor Chris Chadwick and learn more about what the Bible says in the book of Romans. You may be seated. Would you take your Bibles today? Turn to the book of Romans chapter 6. Thank you for being here at Canyon Ridge. Romans chapter 6 in your Bibles this morning. I want to thank those of you watching online. A lot of sick folks today. A lot of people traveling. Uh, just one of those four-day holidays. And so very, very thankful for all of you that are here. And uh, COVID kind of going around again. Uh, the city. And so those of you that are home. We appreciate you and we're praying for you as well and especially thankful for those of you that are here and appreciate you being here for sure. Romans chapter 6 in your Bibles this morning. The phrase live free or die is the official state motto of New Hampshire. It was adopted as their motto in 1945. There's a story, a rather unfamiliar story behind it. I looked it up and learned it this week. It was from a letter written by General John Stark, New Hampshire's most famous, if you will, freedom fighter in the Revolutionary War. He was at the Battle of Bennington during the Revolutionary War and was infamous and his exploits were quite amazing. And there was supposed to be a reunion, or there was a reunion, July 31st, 1809, but poor health prevented him from attending. And so he wrote a a, a letter or a, a toast to the reunion, the people in the reunion, and he said these words, he said these words, live, at the end of it, live free or die, death is not the worst of evils. Live free or die. Death is not the worst of evils. It is possible that the source of the motto is Patrick Henry's famed March 23rd, 1775 speech to the House of Burgesses, the uh, legislative body of the Virginia colony, which contained the following phrase from Patrick Henry. Is life so dear or peace so sweet? as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery? Forbid it, almighty God. I know not what course others may take, but as for me, give me liberty or give me... You can finish it. Yep. A little bit different than a lot of people are talking about in modern day America, isn't it? that give me anything other than death. No, no, these men were willing to lay down their lives for freedom, liberty. Give me liberty. Live free or die. When I was a kid, I've shared this in our church before, but when I was a kid growing up in Tacoma, Washington, I was kind of um, at the height of the Cold War. And I can remember in the late 70s, when bell bottoms were still king, I was happy to see them coming back. Uh, They're coming back. Make no mistake. They are coming back, and I can't wait to see Bernie up here in a pair of them. It's going to be great. 
In the late 70s, I can remember driving down Pacific Avenue in Parkland, Washington, between Tacoma and Spanaway, where we lived, and, and uh, I saw a bumper sticker and asked my dad what it meant, and, and the bumper sticker read, I, I'd rather be dead than red. I'd rather be dead than a communist. I'd rather be dead than under a communist totalitarian regime. Some of you are old enough to remember that. Some of you probably worked in a factory that made them. It's there. I'd rather be dead than red. Freedom. Well, we've been in a study of Romans. I think we're in the 36th message on Romans. And in our men's prayer meeting this morning that happens at 7.30 on Sunday mornings, if you're available to, we'd love to invite you to come to that. Um, it is a little early. It's before our great 30 service. And in that prayer meeting, I was asked this question, Pastor, I'm sure we're not going to be in the book of Romans today. It's the 4th of July, and you like to preach patriotic messages and or messages about America or what we need or whatever. And I said, well, actually, we are going to be in the book of Romans today, and we're going to be in the following section um, from where we were last week. And I'm very excited about this passage of Scripture, and we are going to talk about freedom. Why? Well, because that's what our text talks about today. Read it together with me, if you would, Romans chapter 6, verse number 6. Knowing this, having knowledge of this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. He that is dead is freed from sin. I've titled our message this morning, Not Live Free or Die. I've titled our message this morning, Die to Live Free. Die to Live Free. It's what the Apostle Paul is talking about. Free, uh, freed from what? He says here in verse number seven, he that is dead is freed from sin. Are you serious? I can be free from sin? The thoughts that I'm struggling with even while sitting in the crowd, the, the struggles of my week that I have, the, uh, the times when I'm, I'm really, whatever the case may be, doubting, struggling, tempted, yielded to sin, whatever, I can be freed from that? Come on, Pastor, are you serious? Well, isn't that what the text says? He that is dead is freed from sin. Well, there's got to be a catch. What does the word freed mean? The word freed means the hold or the control of sin is severed. It is broken. The hold of sin no longer has to control me. I am no longer have to be under the bondage of sin. Pastor, are you saying that I don't have to sin? I mean, really? Well, I'm not really saying it. God is. I'm just telling you what God says. He that is dead is freed from sin. It's a, it's a powerful passage. I mean, this is the, the thesis statement that Paul is making for the message today. He that is dead is freed from sin. You can be, listen to me, free from sin. You don't have to sin. You don't have to sin. Your marriage really can be free from pride. 
Your parenting really can be free from ego. I got more to say. I just wanted to let that one sit for a minute. I, I can live without insecurity. Because my security, verse number five from last week, Romans 6, 5, my security is in the death of Christ. So I can be free from insecurity. I can go to work without anger. I can honestly love people. I can go a week without sexually perverted thoughts. I can live without gossip. I don't have to tear people down in my own mind. I don't have to build myself up in my own mind. I don't have to be rebellious. Well, Pastor, come on. Are you talking to teenagers? Yeah, teenagers look at me. You don't have to be rebellious. Adults look at me. You don't have to be rebellious. I've learned something really clear in my life. The greatest rebels I've ever met are over the age of 18. I don't have to be. I can be. Now, I'm not looking for this to be the most amen message in the history of Canyon Ridge, but it ought to be. Because he that is dead is freed from sin. I'm freed from sin's control. Sin no longer, has to, no longer has to be the puppet master in my life. Sin no longer has to tell me what to do and where to go and what to think and how to respond and how to act and who to talk to and who I can't talk to and who to love and who not to love. I, I, I can't, if I'm free from sin, I'm not prejudiced. If I'm free from sin, I, I, I'm not a discouragement. If I'm free from sin, I'm not a, I, I don't stab people in the back. If I'm, if I'm freed from sin, I, I'm not aborting a baby. If I'm free from sin, I'm not living a perverted lifestyle. I mean, I'm just freed from sin. But I'm not free from sin's influence. I can be free from something's control without being free of something's influence. Let me put it this way. My mama doesn't control me anymore. Though she thinks she does. If you haven't met my mom, she weighs, I don't know, probably 140 pounds of, of rebellious naughtiness. German woman, 73 years old, 74 years old. She, 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 I love her to death. She wants her way. She's such a godly lady sometimes. And um, when she doesn't get her way, my mom grew up in our house. If you know me well, you know, like, I'm going to hug you. And I, if you're a dude, I'm going to probably punch you in the arm and tell you I love you and I'm proud of you. Say, where'd you get that from, your dad? No, I got that from my mom. My mom was, was, was always one of those, you know, really like, like physical touch was her love-hate language. She touched you when she loved you, and she touched you when she hated you. I mean, she, that's, that's how Arlene is and was. And, and I, I, every once in a while when we're together, I'll say something and make her laugh. And when I make her laugh, she hits me. And, uh, and, and she, she's a wonderful lady, and she tries, at times, she influences me. Let me say it this way. At times, my mom influences me, but she doesn't control me. When I was younger, she controlled me. 
two, three, four, five, 25 years old. She controlled everything I did. That was a funny line. Some of you are like, really? Your mama's boy? No, no, no. I'm just but as a kid, my mom controlled me. But the older I get, she no longer controls me, but she does have influence over my life. There's a great old preacher by the name of Martin Lloyd-Jones, and Martin Lloyd-Jones shares this illustration. He, he talks about uh, the life of the Christian. If you were to view it this way, there would be two fields. There's a field before salvation that Satan controls, and then there's the Jesus field over here, and they're separated by a road in the middle. When you were Before you were saved, you were controlled by Satan. You were ruled by Satan. You did what Satan wanted you to do. You went where Satan wanted you to go. The Bible is very clear. We spent chapter five dealing with this, that sin is the controller. Satan is the controller. Satan is the one who rules and reigns in, in, in the person's life prior to salvation. After salvation, you switch fields. It's kind of like what Jesus said, broad is the way that leads to destruction, narrow is the way that leadeth to life everlasting. Lord, Lloyd-Jones has taken it all, this illustration off of that. Prior to salvation, you're in the Satan field. After salvation, you're in the Jesus field. When you're in the Jesus field, Satan no longer controls you. But what he does is he yells and he screams and he hollers and he cajoles and he manipulates and he puts up billboards and he brings flashy things by and cars and and people of the opposite sex or the same sex for that matter and tries to tempt you to live like you're still in his field. He can't control you anymore, but he still does influence you. He still influences us. So the believer is no longer under the control of Satan. We are freed from that. Because of that, Paul's thesis statement, if you will, or the take-home truth that Paul gives us in verse number seven is if you're dead, you're freed from sin. If you are dead, you are freed from sin. So we understand that the believer never falls into sin. He walks into sin because of his choice to live under sin's bondage. This is why I say this. I've heard my whole life being in church, my whole life, I've heard people say things like this. Oh, he, he fell into sin or, or she fell fell into sin. No, no, they didn't fall into sin like it was a uh, uh, walking down the street and a manhole cover had been removed and they accidentally fell into it. Oh no, absolutely not. The believer walks into sin because he chooses to live under sin's bondage. But that's the declarative statement that the apostle Paul is making here. Why would you say that, pastor? Well, because if you're dead, you're freed from sin. Freedom. Mankind wants to be free from tyranny. But the greatest freedom there is, is freedom from sin. We can be free from sin. And in verse number six, and this is kind of laid out in reverse order in my mind. This is the way it works. In verse number six, Paul makes three clear statements that will guide us into a deeper understanding of our freedom in Christ. Number one in verse number six. The Christian is co-crucified with Christ, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him. 
Knowing gnosis is just a Greek word, gnosis. It means having knowledge of something, uh, knowing him. We have knowledge of this, that the old man is crucified with Christ. Well, what's the old man? The old man is the person spiritually that we were spiritually before salvation when we were still under the bondage of sin. The old man is the person we were spiritually before salvation when we were under the bondage of sin. You have your Bibles to Romans 6. Turn over and look at Romans chapter 3, verse number 9. What then? Are we better than they? No, in no wise. For we have before proved, both Jew and Gentile, that they are all under sin. All of us are under sin. We were born in sin and sin did our mother conceive us. Verse, chapter 5, verse number 8, look there. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinning. Look at verse number 10. For, now listen to this phrase. For if, and here's the clause I want you to hear. When we were enemies, enemies of who? Enemies of God. What do you mean? I mean, before salvation, you were God's enemy. No, I've always loved God. I, I'm sorry to have to tell you this. No, you didn't. You were his enemy. I was too. That's why the scripture says, for if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God, or we were made right, or brought into a right relationship to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his son. Reconciled to God by the death of his son. I missed a key word there. By the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. We were his enemies, and we were reconciled by the death of Christ. The Christian is co-crucified with Christ. When Christ was on the cross, so were you. That's why it's so vital that we understand the truth of last week's message. For if we've been planted together in verse number 5 of chapter 6, in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Now, our text says, uses this phrase, old man, and the phrase old man or the, often causes some, some trouble in folks' minds, and, and they have questions, and some interpreters refer to the old man as the sinful nature's nature that believers get rid of when they come to Christ. But I don't think that's accurate based on Romans chapter 5, and I don't think that's accurate based on Romans chapter 6. It is more likely that Paul's way, this is Paul's way of referring to who we were in Adam prior to sin, or after sin, I should say. It's as John Stott puts it this way, or says it this way. What was crucified with Christ was not a part of me called my old nature, but the whole of me as I was before I was converted. When, when you got saved, your old nature wasn't the only thing on the cross. Every part of you was on the cross. The entirety of your being was on the cross. Your old self was on the cross. Your old life was on the cross. Your sinful self 
was on the cross. Your corrupt nature was on the cross. Your sinful life on the cross. Your depraved nature was on the cross. Your unregenerated nature was on the cross. Your sinful nature was on the cross. Every part of you and me, those of us who are followers of Christ, our believers, was on the cross. There is nothing about you that wasn't on the cross. That's why Paul refers to it as verse number six, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him. Who we were prior to salvation was on the cross. That's why Paul says in Galatians 6, verse number 14, but God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. Where were you crucified? Where were they crucified? On the cross. And because of that, there is no part of you that is under the control of Satan. There's no part of you that is under the control of the world. You are freed from that. Listen to me. Your anger, crucified. We live in an angry world. In San Diego, we're a little bit insulated from that, but go to the Northwest, and I'm from there so I can say what I want. And if you don't agree with me, go there. One of the most angry, hateful places I've ever been. Before you challenge me on that, just look up Portland, Oregon. Portland's not weird. Portland is vile and violent. I mean, it's, it's... if it wasn't so heart-wrenching, it would almost be funny. I don't know how I saw this yesterday. It's probably some social media rabbit hole that I found myself going down. I had to wash my car yesterday after being at Ironwood. And if you've never been at Ironwood, you don't understand how difficult that can be. The dust gets everywhere in your car. I mean, it's horrific. And somebody sent me, or I saw some then people in Portland, and it just started showing fights in Portland. And I literally saw an old man and an old lady in a car fighting. The man gets out of the car, the, and he's shuffling. He's like 139 years old, and he's shuffling down the sidewalk. And this lady, she's 129 years old, she gets out of the car and chases him down the sidewalk. It was a slow chase, I can promise you that. And she just starts hitting him in the head, and they both fall to the ground. And, and, and it, if, it, if it had been a comedy skit, it would have been hilarious. But because it was the, the indication of a vile heart, it was heartbreaking to see the anger and the violence in these people's lives. For the believer, that's been crucified. Your lust, crucified. That's why when we say, hey, you don't have to view porn. No, 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 pastor, you don't understand. It like controls me. Well, if it controls you to the point of behavior, you might need to inspect your salvation because the reality is it has been crucified. I understand there needs to be work. We're going to talk about that in a second. But your lust has been crucified. Your pride, crucified. Your insecurity, crucified. 
You're the selfishness that's destroying your marriage. Crucified. You're lying. Crucified. Stubbornness. Crucified. Rebellion. Crucified. Addiction. Crucified. Laziness. Crucified. Gossip. Crucified. Whatever it is, it's been crucified. Our old man in totality, this is what he's saying, is crucified with Christ, with him. You say, great, that's great, but what does it mean? Well, he doesn't end with just one phrase. He goes on to the next one. Not only is the believer co-crucified with Christ, the believer has the power to renounce sin. The believer has the power to renounce sin. Notice what he says. Knowing this, our old man is crucified with him. Here's the phrase that we're going to look up for a minute. That the body of sin might be destroyed. Body of sin. Not the existence that is sinful, but the body in its susceptibility to sin. The self which belongs to sin. Here's what he means. That part of you that wants to sin. You're making me work today. Appreciate it. It's Independence Day. That part of you that craves to sin. You ever crave for something? We were at youth camp this week, Ironwood, 114 degrees, Monday or Tuesday, whatever it was. I was craving things to drink. I started craving soda. And, and because of where I stay, they, they give like pastors all the soda that you want. Bernie calls that heaven. He calls it the second heaven. I'm kidding if you have a Mormon background, I'm teasing. But he doesn't call it this, he calls it the first heaven. Um, but they, I started to crave that. I was just looking for something to drink. Tuesday night after the service, I, I drank, I think it was 48 ounces, 36 ounces of water, and, and, and then a, a, a body armor sports recovery drink. I drank all that in about two or three minutes. I was just craving that. Bring that definition back up of the body of sin. The, the body that is susceptible to sin, the body that desires sin, the body that the, the flesh is lusting after the spirit, the flesh is pushing this on you. That's the, the, what this word is meaning, that which craves sin. And he's saying this, that the body of sin might be destroyed. He doesn't say, listen to me, he doesn't say that it will be destroyed. He does not use this word might hyperbolically or rhetorically. He uses this word actually, factually, clearly. The body of sin might be destroyed. You have the power to do this, but you might not do it. 
One commentator said this, the body of sin is not plural sins, but singular sin. Sin is seen as a body, a whole package. The human body is seen as the seat of sin and as the instrument of sin. It is seen as containing, embodying, and packaging all sin within itself. The idea is that all sin within a believer is destroyed, conquered, forgiven, and crucified with Christ. That's why he says that it might be destroyed or useless or made idle or having no power or no control. This sin is idle. That's why Galatians 5 verse number 24 says, And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust." They have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. The reason we sin is not because sin has the power over us. The reason that we sin is because we prefer sin. The reason that we sin is not because sin has the power over us. The reason that we sin is because we prefer sin. Sin has the potential to be destroyed, renounced, refused, repudiated, rejected, denied, conquered. I don't, listen to me, I don't have to view porn. Why? It's been repudiated. I don't have to live in anger. The cross of Christ has destroyed it. I don't have to live in a loveless marriage. Why? It's been conquered. Don't misunderstand me. I, I know I know right now that there's someone in this room, guaranteed, that is saying, Pastor, I, I, I don't want to be the way that I am. I want victory over sin. So please don't trivialize my struggle. I get your struggle. I live your struggle. I know what it's like to struggle with sin every day of my life. So does the author of this text. The Apostle Paul says, Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? He refers to himself in other places as the chiefest of sinners. You need to understand that we understand that we're all in the same boat. If you're a believer... Our text is making this point evidently clear. You can't just keep living in sin because you struggle with it. Well, this is the way that I am. That's not an out. Well, this is the way my dad was. That's not an out. This is the way my mom was. That's not an out. I cuss because my mom cussed all the time. I, I smoke because my dad smoked. I, I beat the dog because grandpa beat the dog every time he come over. Now listen, that doesn't give you an out. The point is being made in this text that you're free from sin. The Apostle Paul in chapter 5 talks about, in verse number 20, for where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. 
And so he deals with the, the magnitude power of salvation. That salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That salvation is powerful. And that salvation, Jesus can save anybody and will save anybody. It doesn't matter if you're a murderer like the Apostle Paul. It doesn't matter if you're a kid that grew up going to church his whole life like me. The salvation is needed for every person all the time. And it's only by the grace of God that anyone is saved. And no matter the level of your sin, whatever level of your sin, grace is greater than your sin. And can we get a hallelujah on that? Well, the, the tendency then for the folks might be then to go, well, I'm saved, so I'll just do what I want and live how I want because this is what I want. And Paul is saying, oh no. He that is dead is freed from sin. The old man is crucified that the body of sin would be destroyed, made idle, made useless. You're saved. Stop living like a sinner. Live in the empowerment and the victory of the death of Jesus Christ. You have the power to renounce sin. It does take work on our part, though. It doesn't just happen. How many of you have ever prayed something like this? And it's not a bad prayer to pray. I've prayed it many times in my life. Lord, just take the struggle away. Because you want the struggle gone. Lord, just take the struggle away. I just want it over. I just want it done with. I just want it ended. Please take it away. That's a great prayer to pray. And, and it ought to be prayed. But there needs to be, in addition to that, persistent pursuit of Christ, patient following of Christ, and effort. It doesn't just end because we want it to end. We have to literally die to that. And that takes work. The Apostle Peter, who really was the leader of the church after Jesus left for the first 12 chapters of the book of Acts, and then Paul kind of becomes the, I, I, for lack of a better term, most um, well-known leader, at least it seems like in the scripture, Paul becomes the most well-known and authors more books than anybody else. Other people write a ton, and Paul is writing, but Peter just, man, Peter's so influential in the church. And Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse number 1, For as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh. Now, this is key. When you read the Scripture, you have to read the words. For as much then as Christ hath, here's a word, suffered for us in the flesh. Well, what is he talking about? Well, ultimately he's talking about Calvary, but Christ leaving heaven and come to earth was, a, was an act of humility and obedience and suffering. As much as Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise or in the same way with the same mind or think the same way about this that Jesus did. For he that suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin. Well, well, we understand. He's talking about Christ, and Christ is the object and the illustration, as he always should be. As Christ suffered 
for us in the flesh. Arm yourself, and the word arm would obviously be a, a military term or a defensive term where we would say take up arms, a way of fighting, a way of protecting yourself. Arm yourself likewise with the same mind. Well, what's the mind that he's talking about? Well, he tells us in the next phrase, for he that has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Well, since Jesus never sinned, we know he's got to be talking about us because we become the object of this verse. He that has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Well, what does he mean? He means that it takes work to stop sinning. I just want it to happen. It's not going to just happen. Verse number two. That he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lust of men, but to the will of God. He that has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Go back to that verse number one real quick. You ever see somebody go through one of those like transformation things? Like somebody who was, you know, like there was a show years ago, it might still be on, I don't know, like Biggest Loser or whatever. You ever see somebody physically go through a transformation where, where they're, they're maybe out of bounds in, in their health and they're, they're substantially overweight and it causes a lot of problems. And then you come back and you see them later and you're like, Holy cow, you've done a lot. Well, our intern this year, Gavin McGee, that's kind of him. When he came, he was a little bit bigger. He had been at college. And one of the things that you do when you're at college, especially in the state of Wisconsin, is you eat. You have to put on pounds. Why? Because the world could come to an end at any point, and Wisconsin's the first place to go. All they have there is cheese. That's it. You eat all the cheese that you can in Wisconsin just to hopefully survive. And Gavin came. Well, he came to Canyon Ridge. He's been eating great. And he works out, what, four to five times a week, probably, he works out. And he's from Ironwood. And so we don't really notice the transformation in his life. But I, we were at Ironwood this last week. And he, his parents are minister there at Ironwood. His dad's in charge of several areas. His mom's in charge of several areas. He grew up there. And so people were coming up, and I'd be sitting, standing around them, and people would come up, and they're like, Gavin, man, you, you're looking great. You've really lost a lot of weight. Like, how did you do that? Can I tell you how he did it? He suffered in the flesh. I complimented him, like, dude, that, that's awesome. He paid a price. See, victory over sin isn't easy. Did you hear me? Victory over sin isn't easy. It's not easy to get rid of a porn addiction. It's not easy to stop sleeping around. It's not easy to surrender the tithe to God. I could make a hundred more illustrations if you want me to. Oh, it's not easy to be submissive to your wife. See, y'all weren't paying attention. You're just going along. That's, you should listen better. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> it's not easy to be submissive to your husband. 
It's not easy to love your wife like Christ loves the church and gave himself for it. It's not easy to obey your parents and honor your parents and the Lord for this is right. I mean, those things aren't easy. It takes work. It takes effort. Well, what kind of work and effort? Well, look at verse number six. It takes a lot of dying to self. Look at chapter six. Paul says in verse number five, for if we've been planted together in the likeness of his death, we'll be in the likeness of his resurrection. The old man is crucified with him that the body of sin might be destroyed, that we should not serve sin. He that is dead is freed from sin. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise, in the same manner, reckon or consider ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Here's what Paul is saying. Hey, you have the power, you have the ability to renounce sin, you have the power over sin, but you're never going to have victory over sin until you consider yourself to be dead unto sin and alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's why last week we said that the whole point of this passage, uh, last week, this week, and next week, is, is going to be that we are to identify with Christ, but not simply with the person of Jesus Christ, but the death of Jesus Christ. And it's going to take work. See, it's going to be really hard to get over depression and discouragement if you keep feeding depression and discouragement in your life, listening to dark music, watching dark shows, listening to true crime podcast, there's enough in this world to discourage anybody. Some people say, well, pastor, what do you think it is? A beaver cleaver, Pollyanna kind of world? No, I know that it's not. So that's why I want those things to influence me. I just want to be happy in Jesus. Well, don't you know reality? Oh, way more than I want to. But I don't want to intentionally put that into me. I already see it. I know it's there. I want to die to that so that I can be alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And because I'm alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord, I should renounce sin. The believer has the power to renounce sin. And here's a third and final point, and I've got to finish because I've gone too long. I haven't gone too long yet, but I'm on the journey there. So stay on board, all right? Don't go, oh, he's almost done. It'll be, you know. The more engaged you are, the quicker. If you take too long to get engaged, it'll be hours. No, I'm just kidding. That henceforth, we should not serve sin. Now, it's key here, a couple of words. The plural pronoun we is talking to believers, that henceforth we as believers should not serve sin. Here's the idea. No believer should be a slave to sin. Well, why do you say slave? Well, because that's what the word serve means. It's taken from the word doulos, where we get the word deacon from, and it means to be a slave to. To be in subjection or bondage. 
See, the believer never falls into sin. He walks into sin because of his choice to live under sin's bondage. The old man is crucified that the body of sin might be destroyed. I don't have to sin. I can have victory over it. It's going to take some work that henceforth or because of this, we should not be a slave to sin. God created all men to live free. I said God created all men to live free. No man should ever own another man. Slavery is a sin and slavery is wrong. And to own someone because of the color of their skin or because of their socioeconomic background is sinful and wrong and idolatrous because one person is saying, as a fallen man, I am better than you. That is idolatrous. It's self-idolatry. It is self-promoting. It is wrong on every single level. But it's horrific when people choose to be enslaved. Well, what do you want to do? I, I, I'll just be a slave. This is what he's saying. That henceforth, we should not be the slave to sin. Independence Day reminds us that freedom isn't free. Those who signed the Declaration of Independence knew it. And centuries later, President Ronald Reagan knew it and warned America with these words. Freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it to our children in the bloodstream. It must be fought for, protected, and handed on for them to do the same. Or one day we will spend our sunset years telling our children and our children's children what it was once like in the United States where men were free. Oh, let me tell you something, son. <laughs> we, we used to be able to go to this place called the grocery store. There were things on the shelves like baby formula. Oh, that was a great line that should have brought laughter. And, and we could just go buy stuff. We didn't, hey, hey, granddaughter, we didn't have to stand in line waiting for bread. Oh, sweetheart, the government didn't tell us how many children we could have. We could have as many as we wanted until our family ridiculed us into stopping. We were free. We were free. Honey, I, I actually have a friend that has 13 children. They stand in the bread line a long time. Yes, you're absolutely right. Freedom isn't free. Freedom from sin isn't free. It takes work. It takes effort. It takes a commitment to following Christ. 
Oh, I want to be free from the bondage of sin. I want to be free from the struggle of sin. Well, well, I'm going to tell you right now, first and foremost, it starts at salvation. If you're here today and controlled by sin, you have to ask the question, am I truly a believer in Jesus Christ? If you've not been saved, and that's a Bible word that we love. If you've not been saved from the wrath to come, if you've not put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, then you are under the control of Satan. And there's nothing that you can do about it until you repent of your sin. That means to agree with God that you're a sinner and turn to him until you repent of your sin and accept the free gift of salvation that Jesus offers. But if you are a believer, you need not be a slave to sin. The freedom that you want is going to take work and effort and determination and patience by the grace of God. Well, pastor, I tried and I tried and I tried and I'm just going to give up. No, 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 don't give up. Keep fighting. It's worth the fight. Freedom from sin is worth the fight. The works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, anger, wrath, malice, evil speaking, filthy communication. And Paul goes on in the book of Galatians to give a, Galatians chapter 5, to give a whole laundry list. Those always lead to death. Don't fall prey to sin. There is freedom afforded to everyone through the crucifixion and blood of Jesus Christ our Lord. Those who signed that sacred document of independence, declaring their freedom from despotic leadership July of 1776, knew that their lives and their fortunes and their sacred honor were at risk. They knew that a vast ocean would not protect them and their families from the wrath of King George who demanded absolute allegiance. One of these men was a man by the name of Richard Stockton. He was from New Jersey, and he understood the grave danger he put himself and his family in, and he knew freedom would not be free, and he was right. Four months after signing the Declaration of Independence, he, in the middle of the night, ferried his family away into hiding, and he was staying at a friend's house, and and a neighbor of the friend who, uh, with whom Stockton was staying, found out who Stockton was and saw him staying there, and went, and he told the British, and the British came in the middle of the night, and they dragged Stockton from his bed. He was poorly clothed, wearing only a nightshirt and breeches or what we would call shorts, and it was freezing. He was thrown into a common jail in Perth Amboy, New Jersey, and was later moved to a provost prison in New York City, a prison that was known for its harsh conditions and its cruelty. It is said that more people died in prison and in prison ships in New York City than all of the soldiers during the Revolutionary War. After five years of being locked in irons and stocks, Nearly starved, Stockton was finally released. The conditions of his release were that he was not to engage in the American affairs affairs during the fight for freedom. His health was compromised such that he would never be able to go to the battlefield. His home had been plundered by the British. They stole his furniture. They stole his livestock. They burned his extensive library. His house was simply a shell. His wealth was gone. He had donated it to the cause of freedom. And Richard Stockton from New Jersey died before the Revolutionary War ended. 
he was 51 years old. Freedom from tyranny cost. Freedom from sin cost a lot. It cost the death of Jesus Christ. It requires effort on the believer's part. I sin because I have no other option. That's a lie. I have no other way to say that. I have no other loving way to say that. That's a lie. You don't have to sin. If you're a believer, the old man is crucified that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth or because of that, we don't have to serve sin. If you're under the bondage of sin, there are one of two reasons. Number one, you've never accepted the free gift of Christ's salvation. And that is offered to you today. Jesus died that you might be saved. Trust him today. Come to Christ today. Don't wait for tomorrow. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Put your faith in Jesus Christ today. You will never be free from sin if you don't come to Christ. If you're a Christian... The reason you're under the bondage of sin, the reason your marriage stinks, the reason you're rebellious, the reason you're addicted is because you choose to live under the bondage of sin when you've already been made free from sin. Why not take the freedom that is offered to you in Jesus Christ? Why not live in the freedom that Jesus Christ promises? At the Marine Museum in Newport News, Virginia, there's a special display for a rickety homemade aluminum kayak. It's a makeshift boat, oddly out of place in the midst of those beautiful, glorious Navy vessels and artifacts and vessels that have been in significant battles, artifacts from great wars. There's a plaque next to the museum that tells visitors why, or, or next to the kayak, that tells visitors the story behind the kayak. In 1966, an auto mechanic named Lorenio and his wife Consuelo decided that they could no longer live under the vile oppression of Cuba's totalitarian regime. Men like Fidel Castro and Raul Castro and Che Guevara. I would remind you parents to teach your kids that Che Guevara was one of the most evil, dictator, murderous, vile humans in one of the hottest parts of hell that has ever lived on this earth. You say, why do you say that? Because in the public schools of San Diego, and I call them out on a regular basis on this, he is promoted as a freedom fighter. He is not a freedom fighter. He is a vile piece of human waste. Destroyed people, ruined families, raped women, sliced people open for no reason other than looking at him in a way that he didn't like. He is an evil human being, and I cannot stand him. The fact that educators in our day want to laud him as a freedom fighter, he is anything but. If you disagree, I'd love to have a kind conversation about that right after service. I really would. I'd love to help you understand the truth. 
I know that's kind of harsh, but it, I, I, I have family that are Cuban. My sister-in-law is Cuban. Her family escaped Cuba with not even the shirts on their back. This family, after spending months collecting metal, they pierced together a boat just barely big enough for two small people. That's it. Lorraine jerry-rigged a small lawnmower engine on the back of the kayak, and after months of planning on a moonless night, they set out for the treacherous waters of Florida with only their swimsuits on. They had enough food and water for two days. They take off, and they're in the open seas for 70 hours before the Coast Guard picked them up just south of the Florida Keys. Was it worth the risk? Lorraine said this, when one has grown up in liberty, you realize how important it is to have freedom. We lived in an enormous prison, which is Cuba, where one's life was not worth one crumb, where one goes into the street and does not know whether one will return home because the political police can arrest you without warning and put you in prison. Before this could happen to us, we thought that going into the ocean and risking death or being eaten by sharks is a million times better than to stay suffering under Castro's communism. How true that is. How die to live free. I wonder how many Christians would agree that it's a million times better to risk everything than to stay suffering under Satan's totalitarianism of sin. Wouldn't you rather be free from sin and alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord? Wouldn't you rather be free from spiritual bondage? Wouldn't you rather be free in Jesus than to live under the oppression of Satan who's come to kill and to steal and to destroy? Christian brothers and sisters, the believer never falls into sin. We walk into it because of our choice to live under its bondage, be free from sin, and alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thank you for listening. Hear more messages anytime at CanyonRidgeBaptist.com. If you're in the San Diego area, please join us for a service. We meet on Sundays at 8.30 a.m., 10.30 a.m., and 5 o'clock p.m.